I want to ask you, if you had to describe your salvation, what, what, what your relationship with Jesus means to you in one word, what would it be? I want to hear from you. Let's take about, I'll take four or five answers. If you had to describe what your relationship with Jesus means to you in one word, what would it be? Joy, peace, forgiveness, accepted, life. What was this one over here? Oh, that's no good. No, no, it is. That's, in fact, it's the best. Redemption is, is exactly what it's about. Forgiveness, accepted, all of those things sort of mean the same thing. I, I suppose when I first trusted Christ in 1972, for a long time, I'm not sure that this would be the word that I would say, what my relationship with Jesus means to me now. But at the time, the word would have been purpose. I mean, on on May 1st of 1972, when I trusted Jesus, overnight the world went from black and white to color. It's not, and I had a reason to live. There was purpose in my life. I had had something for which to live. It's not that I wanted to die on April 30th and all of a sudden on May 1st I wanted to live, but on May 30th I had nothing to, excuse me, April 30th I had nothing to live for. I mean, I was looking at wrapping up high school, moving in with some friends, and getting high as much as I could without getting busted. That was, that was pretty much my goal in life. On May 1st, everything changed. It's not that I fully understood the purpose or the reason that I now had for living, but I wanted to glorify God and I wanted to tell everybody about what Jesus, well now wait a minute, that's not exactly right either. It's not that I wanted to go up to complete strangers and say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. It's that I couldn't help myself. I mean, time and again, you know how now you feel like I need to say something, but I really don't want to. And you don't. I'm afraid to. I'm this. Well, back then, it's like, I really don't want to say this. And then, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. I mean, it was just, it came out. I couldn't help it. But I really did want to. Because I just thought, if you will just hear what Jesus did for me, and what he could do for you, then immediately you will receive him as your Savior. I was not thinking about the fact that a year earlier, my cousin had shared Jesus with me, and I cussed him out. I just thought, once I got saved, everybody will get saved if you just knew about this. Jesus had saved me and had filled me with purpose. So what is that purpose that was so nebulous in my mind? I knew I had it, but I wasn't exactly sure what my purpose was. Well, before I answer that question, let me just tell you a little bit about where we are in this series called the 29th chapter, which simply refers to God's continuing story being played out in our lives. We went last year through the uh, book of Acts, 28 chapters now, we're in chapter 29. The book of Acts ends kind of abruptly, it's very anticlimactic, but there's a reason for that. It's because God's story is not finished. He's still building His church. So what's our role What is our purpose? This story began at creation. And it continued through the fall of man. It climaxed in Jesus' death on the cross where redemption, that beautiful word, redemption was bought for all those who would believe 
in Jesus' death as payment for their sins. And then it will ultimately culminate in restoration at the time when our hope that David talked about and we sang about this morning is fulfilled. This is not a, oh, I really, really hope this is true kind of a thing. This is an assurance in our hearts that one day we will live with Jesus. And all of those things that we sing about are true. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. But we are in the presence of eternal bliss and joy because we are in the presence of Jesus forever and ever. Yesterday at this wedding, in fact, last Saturday night, Allison and I sat with Cat Jones. Many of you know Cat Jones. Um, <clears throat> if, you, if you ever met her, you remember her. Let me just put, that, put it that way about cat and she is just wide open and jonathan her husband is like you you if you met him six times you say do i know that guy you know he's so this is going to be quite a ride for these guys and it's a beautiful match the way the lord has brought them together and cat was cat and jonathan were telling allison and me about the wedding last saturday night we were sitting at at barnes and noble and and um and she said now here's what i want to do you know, I'll take the, you take the first part, and then the, um, the, the, the bridal party is going to be seated. Now, when you say the bridal party is going to be seated, that's not like three or four people on each side. She had 11 bridesmaids, you know, uh, four flower girls. Hazel Cross was one of the flower girls. Our own Chloe Ray was one of the bridesmaids. She was like a junior bridesmaid, but not really junior at all. She, was, she came in, and, um, <clears throat> and I'm thinking... Whoa, how is this going to work? But as the week went on, and then, and then her, the pastor from Jonathan's church in Mebane, their church in Mebane was going to come and share the gospel. And as the week went on, though, I was thinking, wow, this is really, this is really great. And when they sat down and, 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 and Andy Dunkerton came up and shared the gospel, I thought, how beautiful. I mean, they were participating. We sang first, and then... They, everybody sat down, and Andy, the scripture was read, and Andy came and said, <clears throat> talked, he said, I'm going to address my remarks to, to Jonathan and, and Catherine. And, and of course, really, they knew what he was going to say about the story of God. This story that we talk about, creation and fall and redemption and restoration. He put it in another way, and there are lots of ways you can talk about this, but he said, I want to talk about the majesty of God the misery of man, and the mercy of Christ. And already you see where he's going, and he stated it so beautifully. God comes onto the scene and he says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we see the majesty of God, this one who created everything that is. And the culmination of his creation in all this incredible universe is man. And there's so many scientists that say, you know, there seems to be design, but there's just no way that God did all of this just for these humans that seem to mean so little. Well, no, the psalmist said it another way. He had a different perspective. What is man that you're mindful of him? The God of the universe cares about us, and we see his majesty, but it does not take long at all to see the misery of man. When he, when he sins and he falls, he falls away. He rebels against his creator. And we continue to this day to rebel against him. And, and if it weren't for the mercy of Christ at the cross, we would be doomed. And when God saves us, he fills.
fills us with purpose. He brings us together as bodies of believers. And he says, I have a purpose for this group of believers. Those who were following me. Back in November, we, we began a, a, a three-week mini-series about the Grace Community Church purpose statement, which is exalting the Lord, establishing believers, and engaging the world with the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we understand to be our purpose. In early November, Sean talked about exalting the Lord. And the next week, I was going to talk about establishing believers. And oh my goodness, I was so sick that morning. I, I, I think it was when this vertigo was coming on, and I really didn't understand that it was vertigo, but I was so nauseated. And at the last moment, Jim McLaughlin uh, filled in very ably, I understand. And so this morning, we're going to pick up where we left, left off. And, and instead of just spending one week about talking about establishing believers. We're going to spend two weeks, this week and next week, and then we're going to move on to spend a week or two about engaging the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which sort of sets a focus on outreach for us this year in 2012. So a three-week mini-series has turned into a four- or five-week mini-series. Well, that's okay with me. This is important stuff, and it's really great. We, we are so structured now in the ways that we move with these series that it's hard to get stuck in a place you just have to keep moving but this particular series allows us to do that and I'm glad for the extra time especially for this particular subject and this is going to be a different type of message than maybe different than anything I've ever preached here um, as I was preparing this message working through the introduction and and heading to the text, I felt very strongly impressed, not only to talk about purpose, but also mission and vision. These are words that you hear frequently in, in many, many discussions about church life in the 21st century. Maybe you don't hear so much about mission and, and vision, in particular purpose, mission, and vision, but I'm telling you, every church conference, this is a big topic. And <clears throat> while there's a lot of passion about mission and vision, there, there's been a lot of confusion surrounding these terms. In fact, for a long time, I wasn't sure how people were using it. What do you mean about when you talk about mission? What do you mean when you talk about vision? Because there seems to be a lot of overlap, and, and, and some of the stuff that you're saying just doesn't, it doesn't really click with my understanding of Scripture. It doesn't connect and com combine with the, with the way that I think about the Lord's plan for us. Kevin DeYoung um, has written a book to clarify the meaning of the term mission of the church would agree that there's a lot of confusion. Actually, I should say that, that Kevin DeYoung wrote a book to articulate his understanding of the mission of the church. And while some people disagree, I agree with almost everything Kevin DeYoung says. Um, so what's the deal about purpose, mission, and vision? Let's start with purpose. Let's start talking about what is the purpose of a Christian? Look, lots of people have attempted to answer this question in different ways. One of the most well-known attempts at succinctly stating the believer's purpose is found in the 
shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession. It begins this way. Man's chief end is to, you would know this if, I, if it weren't on the screen, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I don't know if it would be possible to state it better than that. Some people say some things like, our purpose is to know Him and to make Him known. Now, <clears throat> Would you agree that knowing your purpose in life is, is, is one of the most important things that you could possibly understand? It's why addictions are so harmful. And I'm not talking about the biggies, you know, like drugs or alcohol or even pornography. I'm talking about addictions that, that are more seemingly innocuous, such as video games or shopping or sports or Facebook. I mean, when our, and none of those things are bad. They're fine as long as they're kept in check. But when our days and nights are consumed with less than meaningful activity, we lose focus on our purpose and we miss the most important reasons for our existence. Some of you thought Tim Tebow was our reason for existence. Tom Brady got his respect last night. I'm not sure he got any love, but he got his respect. Well, what's true of individuals can also be true of churches. In the bustle of activity, we lose focus on our purpose. It's one of the reasons sometimes people say, well, okay, you use this word instead of this word. It means the same things, but words, words have meaning. We try to talk about ministries rather than programs because people get attached to the ways that you do things. And there are so many things that churches do today that you better not, you better not touch that program. It has nothing to do with Scripture. It's, it's a way of understanding Scripture. But look, methods come and go. They change. There, there are just not so many things sacrosanct as we want to make them. And so when you get busy, you, you lose focus on the purpose. Why do we exist in the first place? When Grace Community Church was founded 17 years ago, much prayer, thought, and discussion <coughs> was given to that question. <coughs> Excuse me. Why do we exist? Here is the answer found in the church constitution under Article 2, appropriately titled Purpose. Uh, with each statement, there's a corresponding response and call to action. If you read the Constitution, you, you'll see that there's a, a response and a call to action for each one of these. But I'm just going to read the three statements of purpose. One, Grace Community Church is to worship and glorify God. Two, Grace Community Church is to edify the body of Christ. That is, to build one another up toward Christ-like maturity. Three, Grace Community Church is to, is to spread God's love and His Word worldwide through evangelism and missions. Interesting how structure sort of corresponds to our thoughts about the Trinity. I mean, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Which one is, is the most God? None, right? They're all three God, they're equal, and yet there is an order. We talk about the first person, the second person, and the third person of the Trinity. So, so how do we approach this purpose? Do we approach it like this, in a list, one, two, three? 
or do we approach it like this? We are all, we're doing all three at the same time. It's both. It, the, the answer is both. There is an order. We come together to worship and glorify God. That is our man's chief end, man's chief purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And as we enjoy Him, these other things happen. We build one another up in love and we spread the news, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is well stated in our Constitution. If you'll think about it, you've seen that in another form even today already. Exalting the Lord, establishing believers, engaging the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're thinking about, our purpose. And that's what this series, the 29th chapter, is all about. Thinking about God's continuing story and the role that Grace Community Church has in this story. And, and then ultimately, the role that I have as a member of this church fulfilling that role. We have acknowledged over and again that we receive our instructions from God's Word. That's where we find our purpose. We are to exalt the Lord, as Sean preached about way back in November. We are to establish believers as well. God has designed the church to be a place where Jesus is the head and where God's children learn about Him. And grow in their relationships, both with him and with their brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to talk a lot next week about knowledge, the role that knowledge, knowledge of God has in our spiritual growth. We're going to be thinking a little bit about that today and much more next Sunday. Lastly, one of the reasons we exist is to engage the world with the good news and the gospel of Christ. It's not our responsibility to win people to Jesus. It's only God who can save people. It is, however, our responsibility to share this good news in the neighborhoods around us, in our neighborhoods, and around the world. You might say it's our, our purpose. But now let's consider these two terms about which we hear so much in kingdom work today. Mission and vision. First mission. Our mission is to do the job that God has given us as His church, as members of His body. And our mission is embedded in our purpose. One of the places that we see the mission and that Jesus spelled out the mission for the church is Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Very familiar verses all the way through 20 for, for, for most of you. And Jesus came to me and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. In fact, I, I should have highlighted the words make disciples because that's the primary verb. It's the primary thought of this entire section, but especially of that, that sentence. Go, therefore, really could be translated, as you were going, it's to be expected that you will be taking this good news to others. And as you were going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's our mission, to make disciples of all nations. And we do that by sharing the gospel, by baptizing those who profess to know Jesus. And by the way, if you if you profess to know Jesus and you've never been baptized, please see me today. Don't wait any longer. 
That is a, it's a huge step in your, in your obedience and your walk with the Lord. Don't wait another day. To, to let's, let's get this on the calendar as soon as possible so that you can be baptized and in obedience to the Lord. But then we also teach. We make disciples by teaching people to understand and obey Scripture. And you know what? This is not so much our mission as it is Jesus' mission being fulfilled through His church. And He's with us to the end because it's His story in the first place. And that is a huge task. Share the gospel and disciple those who come to Christ. Lead them to the point where they will be able to make disciples of others. That's our mission. Our purpose is the reason we exist. Our mission is the responsibility that God has given to us to fulfill, to do His work on this earth. Vision is a rather recent addition to church vocabulary. It usually refers to a specific task that God has given to a specific or a particular church. We've already stated the mission of grace is the same as it is for all churches. To make disciples of all people and all nations. And no one church can fulfill that mission. It takes all of us working together to do what God has called us to do. <clears throat> a church vision statement can be a great deal trickier than purpose and mission. We understand what our purpose is. We understand what our job is. We understand what the mission is. Vision, what's vision about? And if you don't have vision, people don't want to get connected with you. A, a vision statement is, a, is an attempt to understand, articulate, and motivate a church to fulfill God's specific task for, the church, for that church in its place in time. Though if you look in church history, you look at the, the books in church history, you're not going to find this word popping up too often until the last 20, 30 years or so. And it's a good thing. A church vision statement can be a powerful tool to help direct the energies and efforts of a particular church toward a God-given goal. But vision, in the way that most people use it, is, is um, it's extra-biblical. It's not unbiblical. There are a lot of things that we do that are extra-biblical that are not specifically stated in Scripture, that are good things. They, they relate to the ways of, of working out, of fulfilling how we understand God telling us to live in a particular way. But, but most people want to take a vision for a particular church in a particular area and elevate it to biblical status. And that can be troublesome. I mean, you hear... <clears throat> You hear a lot of church vision statements that are unrealistic, like, like this one. Our vision is to bring this city under the lordship of Christ. What's wrong with that statement? Our vision is to bring this city under the lordship of Christ. First of all, it's not our vision. It's Jesus' vision. And what have we got to do with bringing a city under the lordship of Christ? We don't have anything to do with that. We do have a responsibility to share the gospel. But it's unrealistic to think that we, we have nothing to say. And look, as much as we pray for revival, and we want to see this nation turn to God, I want to tell you something. If the gospel is moving away from America, it's moving away, and there's nothing we can do about it. 
Because you, you track the progress of the gospel. It's always moved west. It's moving a lot quicker now than it used to. It's moving to Asia. That's where the fire of God is. And in Africa and in South America, it's moving away from North America. And we need to be praying and praying for revival. But if it goes, it goes. We have no say. Don't you think there were people just like us 100, 150 years ago in Europe begging God not to let the gospel go away? It's going away. God is the one who determines where the gospel is going to find fertile soil. Our responsibility is to promote, to proclaim the gospel of Christ. And by the way, this is not, those comments are not meant to say, hey, let's just give up on America and all move to China, you know, where the gospel is, is taking, taking root. That's not the point at all. We need to fall on our face and pray for God to do that. But I can tell you this, if the gospel does move like it, like it moved from Europe and if it ultimately moves, moves away from America, the one person that comes to Christ in, in three years of witnessing is just as important as the 365 Asians that come to Christ in one year. The gospel will do its work and we need to be careful about tr- of creating visions that vision statements that really are something that we desire but not necessarily mandated by God what what about a church vision that strives to bring the gospel to every home in the city it's a noble desire is it not let's share the gospel with every home in the city in the county It's a noble desire indeed, but if you put the majority of your energy and resources into such an endeavor, not only are you going to almost certainly neglect the needs of your body, you may well find yourself exhausted after several years and have, have to admit that your efforts have failed it because you were just unable to fulfill the vision that God gave to your church. On the other hand, you may be justifiably excited that you've reached far more homes than you would have without that vision statement. It's a goal. It's something we're, we're pursuing with all of our, our hearts. But sharing the gospel with every person in the city is the task of all Bible-believing churches in the area, not just your particular church. So you can see how it can be tricky, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't think about vision. In preparation for this message, I looked at a lot of different church websites to see what they say about vision. And there seems to be a trend away from using that word. Back 10, 15 years ago, everybody talked about, this is our vision. And get on board because here's what we're going to do for God. And, 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 and that's, again, it's not, a, it's not a bad thing. Please do not think I'm, I'm, I'm making light of that. It's not, but there seems to be a move back to the understanding of mission This is our mission. I think that's a healthy shift back. Um, When churches talk about vision, it's in the language of opportunity for specific ministry in their communities and in certain communities around the world that they've identified as targets for ministry. Often, vision statements are not just like one one sentence that everybody can just rally around and, and go at it. Oftentimes, vision statements are several pages long, and there's a great deal of explanation that's given to the 
to the ministry, the plan for ministry expansion. And it's rooted in mission. <clears throat> Rather than having a vision that's, in, that's stated in one provocative sentence. When you use the term vision, you're thinking about the future. By the way, I, 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 people that just that, that know way better and would never do this with any verse, tend to use the verse in Proverbs, without a vision, the people perish. Look, that verse, what that verse literally means is what, when the word of God is spare, people perish. When the word of God is, is full and, and people hear the word, they are healthy. When there is no word, there is death and destruction. There is famine. There's a famine in the land. And there's really nothing for the people to hang on to that's going to... So, if you're thinking about that verse where there is no vision, it doesn't mean what you think it means. It means something else. And it's really talking way more about mission and purpose than it is about vision. But... Vision can be a great thing. You're thinking and talking about the future. <clears throat> and in order to do that, you have to assess where your church is, both in location and in church history. You need to evaluate your resources. You need to evaluate the spiritual gifts of the people in the body. You also need to think about the needs in the body and the needs in your surrounding community. I mean, you may have a, a vision of reaching your community through out, outreach events or through boots-on-the-ground service for those who are in need. There, there are a lot of different ways that we can fulfill our purpose and our mission by rallying around a vision that we have for a specific task in our area. You may have a vision for striving to have a backup leader for every significant role in the church. You may have a vision for a sports ministry or a mission of help to those who currently serve on the mission field, this, this, on Friday, I met with um, Tripp and Heather uh, Flythe, who are some of our missionaries. They are in town, just in country, just for a very short time. They are here from Indonesia, and uh, someone provided the airline fl- tickets for them, which is quite a gift, for vacation. And so they couldn't be here. It just didn't work for them to be here one of the two weeks, and they would have been working anyway. In fact, I said... I am so sorry. If this was vacation, I wouldn't have asked to have lunch. They said, oh, no, you're paying for it. That's great, you know. But just talking with them, I just thought about, oh, my, how much encouragement they need where they are in the middle of nowhere. Some interesting stories. They, they caught a 16-foot python in their area recently, and they, and, and they found at least 25 baby pythons running around. They, they got those. But Tripp said, yeah, we brought them into the... Um, into the hangar, you know, he's with Mission Aviation Fellowship, and, and he said, we were playing with him, you know, grabbing him by the tail, playing Steve Irwin, or, is it Irwin or Irvin? Irwin, yeah, my Aussie wife would know that, she should know that, and uh, so he said, we're playing, and he said, he struck at me, it took him aback a little bit, I, I should have said, well, you know how Steve Irwin ended up, you know, it's what you get if you're trying to play, especially if you're not, if you're not him. And, um, but especially talking to Heather, man, they're in the middle of, they're in the middle of nowhere. And Tripp is just, he's full of activity. You know, he's in the plane flying off the island. He's, they're doing all kinds of stuff. He's busy every day. 
And Heather is literally in the middle of nowhere. But those children, just not. And you know, your church, churches may have a vision for just being a blessing to the people who are on the field, doing what none of us would really be excited about doing. Our staff and elders spent a significant portion of a November weekend working on these very concepts. In fact, when I prepared this message, it was, it was right after we had done that. And oh my goodness, we were excited as we assessed and prayed and, and dreamed. We were thinking about ways that God might be leading our church and ministry, both in the short term and further out. It's exciting to think about moving ahead, but we recognize that while it's our, our church's job to fulfill the mission that God has given to all churches and division for potential ministry and growth here at Grace, we have to recognize it's the Holy Spirit of God who is responsible, responsible for bringing about the advancement of Jesus' church in the Father's plan. And look, you know, I really wish... I got off script a while ago when I started talking about the gospel moving away from America. And I probably shouldn't have talked about it until, you know, you've thought about that more and you're, you're ready to think about that more because we don't tend to think like that. But look, you study church history. You study the way the gospel is gone. And you see very clearly this is God and God alone who determines how all of this happens. And so we're excited about thinking about this year, about what God is, <coughs> excuse me, going to do at grace. But we recognize that we're dependent totally on the Holy Spirit. But you know what? The worst thing that we can possibly do is to get to the judgment and seat. well, we just understood that the gospel was moving on, so, you know, we really didn't do anything. That would be the worst thing that we could possibly do. So, we come to the latter portion of our time together this morning, recognizing what a privilege it is to be a part of God's story in the 21st century. And by the way, regardless of what's going on or not going on, it is exciting to be a part of God's story wherever you are. And the mission doesn't change. The purpose doesn't change. And vision and desire for God to do something in your area doesn't change. The reason that we exist is the same reason that the church existed in the first century. Exalt, establish, and engage. All that we've talked about to this point is important for understanding why we do the things that we do as a church. In home groups this week, and approximately, and this is awesome, because we, we, we figured this out in November too. We did a little, we started calculating. 75% of you, of, of the adults who attend here, not students, we would love to, for this to be the student number as well. 75% of you attend home groups. And in, this, in your home group this week, we're going to look at, at Ephesians 4 where you're going to think about the way that Jesus structured the church in order to enhance and ensure spiritual growth among the flock or the establishment of believers, which is our focus for these two weeks. Establishing believers is all about disciple making. It's all about spiritual growth. It's becoming more and more like Jesus. That's the other thing that Pastor Andy talked about in the, in the, in the wedding sermon yesterday. He said, look, when you, 
When you come together, you come together as those who have been impacted by the mercy of Christ, but you also come as those who are still sinners. And, and he, you know, he referenced a, a recent book on marriage that's titled, When Sinners Say, I Do. <laughs> and, you know, you don't need to read the book. Just read the, you say, oh, yeah, okay, you know. Which is why we so desperately need the grace of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. Not in our lives, just, just for salvation. Then we, then we move on to the next thing. But we need the grace of God every day. And that's what establishing believers, it's about growing, becoming more like Jesus. Establishing believers has to do with every aspect of our lives. Which is why... We talk so much about home groups. I, and I'm going to guess that the overwhelming majority of you who were in a home group would say, oh yeah, I am much better with this than without it. Just my life with Jesus is much better as a result of this home group than it is apart from that group. So before we close this message, by reading our text, you wondered if we even had a text unless you saw it on the first slide. 2 Peter 1, 1-15. I want to mention just a few things for you to look for as we read through this text. You don't need to, to, to jot these down. We're going to come back and look at this text very thoroughly next week. But just be looking for them. First, we grow in Christ through God's grace and through knowledge of Him. Second, and just an expansion of the first point, the knowledge in this passage refers both to an intimate knowledge with Jesus, a personal relationship with Him, but also knowledge that comes from God's Word. Second, or third, excuse me, while we grow by God's grace in His work in our lives, we have a responsibility to work at this life that He's given us. You know, grace, living by grace, doesn't mean that we just are zombies and hope that he'll move us in the right way. We have to work at it. But we work at it with an understanding that it's him working through us that makes it happen. Because you know, you just think about the thing that, that, that you absolutely find impossible to do, that you need to do in your life. You need to, 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 to respond a certain way when people say things. You need to witness. You need to do any number of things speak up when the opportunity comes and you say, there's no way I can do that. Well, no, maybe you can't, but God's grace working through you can. Fourth, even when we are established, we need constant reminding about God's design of our lives. So, let's read our text. Looking for the role of grace and knowledge in Christ's life in us for spiritual growth. And I hope this text raises questions in your mind for next week. Uh, I'm going to try to answer some of those questions then, but my challenge to you is to find the answer on your own through personal study. So that, you know, you can come to church next week and say, I wonder what he's going to say about that. And then when I say it, you can say, okay, he got it right, good. I'm, I'm glad for that. Or, you know, I don't know about that. I'm going to have to ask him. You do the study for the, for the questions that this text raises in your mind. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand, read Second Peter 1, 1 to 15. We're going to pray. And then we're going to be closed with a benediction. So let's stand together. And let these words find place in your heart and let it grow 
Let these words grow in your heart this week. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It doesn't feel that way sometimes, does it? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Think about that one this week. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by the way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So today, entirely different kind of message than I've ever preached here before where we didn't spend more time in the Word than we, than we always do. But that's the point. We're moving right to this point that this is what we are about and it's God's Word. Let these words find, take root in your heart. Meditate on them all week long. And then next week, Let's allow the Lord to speak to us in the ways that He desires so that we might be fulfilling all of those things that we've talked about, purpose, mission, and that we might have vision for what He wants to do with us in the time that we have on this earth. Let's pray.